Uh, if you're new, my name is Aaron, and I have the joy of serving as a campus pastor here. Uh, and I really did miss you all. It was a good time to be away. We went up to Tahoe. Uh, and really, uh, our, our, our vacation was more like Sabbath. And uh, we'll talk more about Sabbath, but I love Sabbath. I believe that God created us for uh, times in, that are important for rest and times for renewal and to reconnect with what it means to be family and to celebrate what God did. And so we had a chance to get away to Tahoe. One of our elders up, uh, your Belinda, has a great condo up in Tahoe. And if you've never been to Tahoe, recommend it. It was awesome. We went kayaking and bike riding. It was just a fantastic time. So I know many of you asked how it went. So thank you all for, for praying for us. It was great to be away. Uh, but I'm really excited to be back and jump into it. Um, how, how are you all doing? You guys doing good? Good. Um, so I heard like last week, you guys like broke the rules or something. And you like ditched this place. That's what I heard. And you went outside to some lake over there. Uh, how was that? Is that pretty cool? It was, I, I, I was pretty, okay. I heard better things than that, okay. Um, yeah, so we had a little bit of uh, conflict in this room. And thank you all for the class and the flexibility uh, to go out there. It was something that kind of got sprung on Katie uh, on Tuesday. And so she went into full operations mode and got it done. So Katie, thank you for, uh, for leading us in that way. Let's give her an applause. Yeah, thank you. And then two weeks ago, uh, I, we were gone, and then Katie got sick, got ill, and she was gone, and I heard you just like, just rolled with it and, and did it, and did church. Um, and I love that because this church is about a community. It's not about uh, individual or staff, it's about a community. Our mission here is that we would become a community of authentic Christ followers compelled to change the world. And when those moments happen and we see uh, people step in and lead. Uh, I heard Laura was going to lead worship randomly. I don't know. They're like, you know, hey, you know, come on. We've got team nights coming up on the 24th, you know. Uh, but we just love to see when people step in like that. And so thank you for leading and uh, for being the community that you are. I also had the chance to visit about four different churches um, over the last couple of weeks. I went to four in one day, actually. Um, try that on, for size, okay. Um, and I just, God's doing some cool things in the area, but I love this church. I love you. I love what God is doing in this place. I wouldn't want to go to any other church but this one right here. Uh, you know, there is something unique and special that God is doing. And maybe this is your first week, and it's special because you're here, right? Because our hope is that we would um, reach people and connect people to a life-giving church uh, in this region, in this area. Uh, we are a new church plant. We just got planted uh, four months ago. And we're kind of heading into our second half of the year, um, starting this week. That's kind of how we broke it up. And so we want to invite you in. As Katie said, tomorrow night is the intro night, the Connect with Friends. Love to have you there. Uh, it's a very casual time for us to know each other, uh, share a little bit about our, our hopes and vision for this place, and what we hope to invite you into uh, in the life of this church. So please check that out. Um, over the last couple of weeks, I've been asking myself some, some reflective questions, if you will. And one of those questions has been, how can I uh, leave a legacy that lasts? Um, I uh, turned 42 in June. My brother turned uh, 44 last week. Krista had her birthday yesterday. Come on now. Happy birthday, Krista. It's awesome. 28 years old. Um, forever. Um, yeah, so... Uh, and I've been asking myself that question, like, how can I leave a, uh, a legacy, a mark that lasts? Uh, while we were on vacation, we watched this show called Help, I Wrecked My House. Has anyone seen that before? Who's seen that? Raise your hand. 
a few of you. It's awesome, okay, if you, if you, it's on Discovery, I think. And it's about these families who do this DIY project. Um, and they, they have this vision for their home, and so they get to work, but they totally wreck their home. And then they gotta call the show, and the show comes, and they fix their house, okay? So these people, like, they go, okay, I, I, I gotta have a new kitchen, you know? And so they pull out, like, you know, they start replacing the tile, and they break like all the plumbing in the kitchen and there's mold and all and they call the show and they come and fix it or they go I want to I want to you know redo um, my office and so they take a sledgehammer and they knock down like a a, a load-bearing wall and the ceiling falls down I mean it's, it's it's and you're like laughing the whole time like oh my gosh like you know um, and then they call the show and the producer names Jasmine she comes and uh, they look at the the, the house and the, and the and the wreck they created and they find out what they were trying to do um, at the very beginning, and then they come and they fix it, but they go beyond fixing it. They actually like, just create a beautiful home. And what that show shows is that the homeowners didn't just nearly ruin their home, they didn't have a big enough vision for their home. Um, did you know that right now, you all have a DIY project that's much bigger than your home? It's called your life's legacy. It's how you and I will be remembered. It's how people will think about you throughout the course of your life. And just like that show, each of us can potentially wreck something. But it's much greater than any home. Each of us has the potential of wrecking our life's legacy or having too small of a vision for our life. Um, as I said, I turned 42. Uh, in June, and I've been asking myself this question, how can I leave a legacy that lasts? How can I leave a, an impact on my kids' lives that will go beyond my life, that will really be important, that is the right legacy? Um, how can I leave an, an impact on this church? Because I'm just one member of it. Now, I have a certain role and a certain influence, but I'm just one member, and you're one member. And how can you leave an impact on this church and this community that goes beyond us? And so I've been wondering um, today even if you would reflect on your own journey with me um, about what kind of legacy you'll leave, what kind of legacy your life will make. Now here's the, the thing I've learned about legacy as I've been thinking about it the last couple of weeks, is you will never feel an urgent need about your legacy until it's too late. You and I will never feel an urgent, like a feeling of urgency about your legacy until every decision that was critical in your life has already been made. And then it's too late. And so you might not feel an urgent need to leave a legacy today. It might be you know, a young adult and you might be like, oh, I don't, Aaron, this is so not for me today. You won't feel a, a, a need for a legacy. But one day, you will hope that your kids will think the best of you. You might not feel an urgent need for a legacy today, but one day you will hope that people knew that you lived for a cause that was greater than yourself. And one day, no matter if we're feeling it today, no matter where we are in the journey of church and faith and Jesus, you will hope that if this is your home church, that this church will have changed people's lives through the message of Jesus. No matter what, even if you're not feeling it today. Because uh, leaving a legacy is important. And so today we're gonna look at that. How do I leave a legacy that lasts? Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 17, verse 1. Uh, 1 Chronicles 17. And we're going to look at uh, the life of David. 
And uh, he learned a lesson about leaving a legacy that was critical to his life. And it's going to be one that I think we can all learn from as well. Um, this is the second to last week before we end our current series called Ignite. It's been a biblical series looking at a life of faith. And so I know last week Jay taught, Pastor Jay, and he got the New Testament passage. We, only, we gave him the, 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 the softball, you know, uh, given the week out there. But we've been in these Old Testament passages uh, that have displayed people who lived uh, lives of faith. We talked about Moses, right, going to lead the people of Israel. We talked about Joseph uh, going through suffering and pain. We talked about Israel going into exile. And now we're going to look at David at the end of his life and how he leads a life of faith and a legacy. And so uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 16. Uh, 1 Chronicles is kind of in the middle of your Bible, by the way, um, kind of halfway in. And chapter 17 is the heart of this book. Uh, not the Bible, but of that particular book in the Bible. And it's all about how David discovers what God wants for him for generations to come. So I'll begin reading verse 1. I'll read the whole thing through, and then I'll pray, and we'll break down the passage. Y'all with me? Okay. No, you're not with me. Are you all with me? Yes. yes. Amen. Okay, cool. Verse 1. After David was settled in his palace, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. Nathan replied to David, whatever you have in mind, do it, for God is with you. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says, you are not to build me a house to dwell in. I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought Israel up out of Egypt to this day. I have moved from one tent to another, from one dwelling place to another. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their leaders whom I commanded to shepherd my people, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Jump down to verse 10. I declare to you that the Lord will build a house for you. When your days are over and you go to be with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me and will establish his throne forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. I will never take my love away from him. As I took it away from your predecessor, I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of his entire revelation. Verse 16, then King David went in and sat before the Lord. And he said, who am I, Lord God? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, my God, you have spoken about the future of the house of your servant. You, Lord, have looked on me as though I were the most exalted of men. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word this morning. And once again, we're not here to just to learn about David's faith. We're here to learn about the God that David had faith in. We are here to learn about Jesus. And the remarkable story of you preparing the way of Jesus, even in the Old Testament, we're here to learn about that. Lord, our hearts desire to leave a legacy that lasts. And we know that you spoke a word that was important to David to reframe and reshape his life. And we pray that you do the same. Lord, this morning we invite your Holy Spirit to go beyond me, to go beyond what I can say, to apply the richness of your word into every part of our life. But Lord, um, we thank you that you will do that with love and truth and gentleness and a whisper with peace. 
not with a harsh word, not with a condemning word, not with a guilty word, but with a word of encouragement, with a word of invitation. And so we say yes. Friends, as you sit there before we go into this passage, would you just say yes to the Lord in your heart? Say yes to whatever he has for your life. We just say yes to you. Teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. We pick up the story in verse 1, and King David, who was Israel's greatest king, has just brought the Ark of the, Co- the, Ark of the Covenant into the capital, Jerusalem. Uh, whenever I think about the Ark of the Covenant, what movie do you think we all think about? Indiana Jones, right? Which one? Was it the first one? Was it the, it was number one, right? Temple of Doom? Okay, I, don't, I haven't seen that movie in forever, but... Um, yeah, Indiana Jones, right? The Ark of the Covenant. Now, we don't know exactly what it looked like. There are descriptions in the Bible about the Ark, but we know what went inside of it. And what was inside the Ark of the Covenant was the two tablets that God gave to Moses for the Ten Commandments, and then most importantly, the very presence of God. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, lived in the Ark of the Covenant, and it was the central symbol of Israelite worship. And they were taking it all around. It was kind of getting moved around Israel. And David finally brought it to the capital of Jerusalem. But in verse 1, we have a problem. It says this, After David was settled in his palace, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord is under a tent. So after the Ark of the Covenant is brought in, David goes to his nice palace. It's made of cool hipster wood, you know, some kind of materials that we all would love to have in our homes. And David's sitting around lavishly enjoying his life, and he realizes, well, I have a nice house, but the Lord doesn't have a nice house. This is a problem. And in our own language, David has just found himself a DIY project. You know, like when you're sitting around, you're looking at the kitchen, the living room, you're like, I don't like, I don't like what that looks like. That's what's going on for David, but it's about the Lord. And so David sets out to build a temple for God. And he wants to put the Ark of the Covenant in the temple where God can be worshipped appropriately. We know it later on as the Holy of Holies. That's where the Ark will go later on when the temple is actually built. And so in the ancient world, kings like David, you can think of Pharaoh or the Mayan temples, they would build temples to their deities to draw attention to their local god. But then also those temples would um, draw attention to the, the achievements of the king. You know what I mean? Like So the temples, the, the pyramids... That's kind of what they did. They drew attention to their gods, but they drew a lot of attention to their local kings as well, their pharaohs. And David has that in mind. He wants to draw attention to God, but he certainly wants to look out for his legacy as well as a king. And so he begins to set out to build this temple. Uh, uh, In verse 2, Nathan the prophet affirms this decision to build this temple. It says this, whatever you have in mind, do it for God is with you. So David and Nathan uh, pull out their hammers and their, you know, their, their drills, they, they are going to get to work, when that very evening, uh, Nathan has a dream. And God speaks to Nathan. He says this in verse 3. He says this. Um, this is what the Lord says. You are not to be the one to build me a house to dwell in. Both Nathan and David are about to make a great mistake here. Both of them decided to build the temple for the Lord, but they had not prayed about it. They have not discerned God's will to do it, and they're about to jump into it, and God tells them, no, it's not what I want. Uh, One commentator said this about David and Nathan's decision to build the temple without discerning God's will, 
and understanding what God wanted. He said this. Hopefully it will come on the screen. Nathan's support to build the temple shows us that good prophets and godly kings misinterpret God's will. Brothers and sisters, if good prophets and godly kings can misinterpret and confuse what God wants, how much more is it true for you and for me, right? Like, like good people, you're all good people. Good people in this room can misinterpret and confuse God's will. And Nathan and David were about to do something that was good, that was God-honoring, that looked right, but it wasn't the priority that the Lord wanted in their life. You see, it's so easy for us, friends, to get confused about what the Lord would want for our lives. Um, you know, I personally find so much grace in this and encouragement because Nathan was a very godly prophet to David and David was a very godly king. And still they misinterpreted and confused God's will. Now, I don't know about you, but that just kind of resonates with me because I can so easily confuse what God wants for my life. And specifically, I can so easily misinterpret what I think God wants for my life when it comes to my legacy, to what will impact people and leave a mark for my whole life. Um, you know, if I can just be you know, transparent with you as I was thinking about this, um, as I was reflecting on how can I leave a legacy and how can we leave a legacy, it's tempting for me to think that a legacy will be left because of a title. You know, a title like pastor or... Um, it's tempting to think that a legacy can be left because of knowledge, what I know about the Bible. It, and that's a good thing. But it's tempting to think also that a legacy will be left because of maybe um, achievements or who we all impress in the room or the people that we please at work. Um, for me personally, I've always wanted to go back and get my doctorate. I love learning. Since I was 19 years old, I've wanted to go back and get uh, do like a 10-year doctorate part-time, you know. And uh, Krista and I have talked about this throughout our relationship. And every time I go to look at uh, a graduate school to get my doctorate and to study, and then I go check in with the boss, um, I realize between our family and our priorities and the Lord's Spirit that my, my, my motivations are not correct. They're off. And it is still a present struggle for me right now for me to believe that I can make an impact that lasts without the letters PhD behind my name. That's very real. And Krista can tell you about our journey of me continually to lay down a desire to go back to school. You know, you are going to have the same struggle in something else. You're going to be tempted to think that an achievement or a title or I think how much wealth is in a bank account or how much wealth we pass on to somebody else, which is great and good. That's going to be the legacy that lasts. But no child has ever said about their dad, my dad was great at answering email, right? No, no child has ever said on Mother's Day, my mom was great in getting back to her customers. You see, career achievements, wealth, those things will leave a legacy and they are important but they are like second, third, fourth, fifth tier down the road. And if we're confused about what will leave a legacy, like David got confused. He thought the temple was going to be it. He misunderstood God's priorities for his life. You know, leaving a legacy is not a mystery. How you leave a legacy is this. A legacy is a summary of how you used every day, every hour, 
of every week, of every month, of every year, of every decade of your life. At the end of your life, all those decisions of what you did leave a mark on the people around you. That's what your legacy is going to be. And we will be tempted to think, oh, this is what's going to leave a legacy, but we can't get confused about what the Lord really wants. And so in verse 6, God actually corrects what Nathan and David are going to do. He says this. I actually, this is kind of humorous. Like, the Lord, the Lord has a sense of humor. Y'all know that, right? Like, he, this is what he says, verse 6. Wherever have, wherever have I moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their leaders whom I commanded to shepherd my people, why have you not built a house of cedar? The Lord's basically like, Nathan and David, did I ever tell you to build me a temple? Like, I didn't even want that. You didn't even talk to me about that. Like, you guys had this little, like, meeting, and then you went out with your hammers to begin, and I don't even care about a temple right now, okay? You know, like, so we better make sure that whatever we put our hands to, that God has said to do that. Like, if you have a job, no, 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 if you have a second or third job, it's the second or third gig. It's the side gig. You know about the side gig? You better make sure the side gig is from God. Because the side gig is going to take away from family, kids, your, your faith community, making disciples. And I know, I know making, making a living is really important, but those kinds of decisions are the ones that sometimes we have to double check to make sure, God, have you told me? Have you told me to do those things? We have to make sure that we've heard from the Lord to do the things he wants us to do. Because the legacy we leave will be the accumulation of all the decisions we made with our time over the years of our life. I feel like a heaviness is in the room right now. And I, I say that because I love you, because I meditate on this passage for over a week, and I'm like, oh my word, this is real. This is live for our lives. Um, but there's a lot of grace in it. Uh, so the first point for us in this is, is this, that leaving a legacy that lasts means giving our time and attention to the right things. That's what it means. It just having the right priorities, that we know what the second, third, fourth, fifth tier things are, and we keep those things in line. So if the temple wasn't the priority for God, what was? Um, well, he tells them in verse 10, he says this, I declare to you that the Lord will build a house for you. Again, I declare to you that the Lord will build a house for you. God's talking, and in this passage, there's a play on words between the words house. So there's two, two definitions for the word house. You can mean a structure, or a building, you know, a house could mean like this, a building, a physical structure, or it can mean a temple, right? Like a, a house of worship. Or the word house could take on a more ancient meaning, such as uh, your lineage, or your descendants, or your relatives, or your legacy. So if I were to um, talk like a, an ancient person and say, the house of Aaron, you would all know that I was referring to my relatives and anybody who is a future descendant from my lineage, right? And so God says to, uh, to David, I want to build you a house. Not a physical house, but a lineage. Now, this chapter begins with, with David saying to God, God, I'm going to build you a house, a temple, a physical building. But that wasn't the priority that God had for David. And D God responds and says, no, 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 no. I want to build you a house. Not a physical building, David. I want to build you a lineage, a physical or a, a spiritual lineage, a legacy from your name. In verses 11 and 14, the Lord now begins to speak about that lineage, and he talks about it in terms of the short-term lineage and then the long-term. So you all with me? So God's like, hey, I'm going to give you a lineage, a house, right, from your name, 
and I'm going to speak about it, about the short term and then the long term. So verse 11 tells us the short term. He says this, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me. So uh, God speaks to the short-term legacy of David. He says, one of your sons is going to come up, and he's going to build a temple. Like, he's going to be the one to build a house, a physical temple for me. And, uh, and that person was, you all know, Solomon, King Solomon. The next son over built God a great temple. You all, you all know your Bibles. I, you guys are amazing. Um, and, but then now God begins to go into the long-term legacy of David. Here, here's what he says in verse 13 and 14. I will never take my love away from him. As I took it away from your predecessor, I will, set it over, uh, I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. Now, verses uh, 11 and uh, 14, uh, God speaks to the long-term legacy of David. And we call this the Davidic covenant in the Bible. The Davidic covenant is an agreement that God made with David, a promise that from his lineage would one day come a future king who would reign and rule over all of God's kingdom. And it says in verse 14 that it would never end. And we know this human king to be who? Bible answer? Jesus. Thank you, Martha. Um, right? Yeah, it's Jesus. So God promises David that from his lineage, from his house, from his legacy, is going to come a Messiah, a divine human king, a God-man, who's going to reign and rule over God's kingdom from David's lineage. The legacy that God tells David that will last is that he's going to take David's life and he's going to link it with the life of Jesus. The legacy that God wants David to have is he's going to intertwine David's life with Jesus' life. Friends, um, no building that David could ever build would ever be greater than that legacy. That his life and Christ's life would be always intertwined together. Um, we might talk about David for years to come, about the building he built, if he built the temple, right? Maybe we'd talk about the stones and the, and the ornaments and the, and the beautiful, you know, you know, things that were in it. We would talk about the first service that was in the temple, you know, how great the trumpets were, how many people showed up. But we would forget about David after two chapters. But because of this promise that God makes to David, David's life and Christ's life are forever intertwined together. Uh, centuries later, in the Gospel of Matthew, the author Matthew writes about Jesus. Now remember, the Gospels in the New Testament are biographies about Jesus' life. And so Matthew writes about Jesus, and in verse 1 he opens up by saying this. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the human divine king, right? Who? The son of David. So there's Jesus, Messiah, intertwined with the life of Christ. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, it says this. Remember Jesus, Messiah. That's what Christ means, right? It means Messiah. Remember Jesus, Messiah, raised from the dead, descendant from David. This is good news. So there, there's Jesus, Messiah, Lord, human king, forever and ever, whose throne cannot end, intertwined with David's life. And then one more, Romans 1, regarding his son, who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of who? David. You all get the picture? Christ's life, Messiah, and David's life, 
forever intertwined together. And so, friends, here's the good news from this passage. I know it's taken a little bit of theology to get through, but here's the good news of this passage. David's legacy was always intertwined with Christ's legacy, and your legacy can always be intertwined with Christ's legacy as well. That's the good news. Don't you want that? Don't you want people one day to say, I met Christ because I met Jeremy, whose life was so intertwined with Jesus' life that when I hung out with, you know, you know, with, with Matt, I saw Christ through Matt. I met Christ because I got to hang out with Krista. I got to know Christ because when I hung out with Grandma, she was so like Jesus. Her life was so intertwined with Christ's life that I knew that Christ was in her life. I knew that she was around, he was around. See, that's how we leave a legacy is our life and Christ's life are so intertwined together that people remember us for Jesus coming through our life. And this is our second and main point today. Leaving a legacy that lasts points future generations to Jesus. Leaving a legacy that really lasts. And the reason why it lasts is verse 14. His throne will be established forever. The reason why a legacy like that will never fade is because Jesus' throne will never fade. So you're building it on something that cannot be destroyed. It's always on Jesus. Um, you could build a building. We could build a building as a church, right? A building's cool. It's convenient. But this church, and we'll have a building one day, you know, a different room, whatever, because God eventually built the temple. But it wasn't the temple that he was most concerned about. What he was concerned about was intertwining David's life and all of Israel's life to Jesus. And what God wants to do in and through this church, friends, is intertwine all of our lives into Jesus' life. And the way that we leave a legacy is by pointing future generations to Jesus. So you could build wealth, great. You could build a building, you could build a career, you could build titles. But the legacy that will last is one where we point future generations to Jesus. So this past week, I got to talk to JD. I don't know if JD's here today, um, but I talked on the phone. He's a new guy to our church. And I said, J.D., um, tell me how you met Jesus. By the way, if you're just meeting each other, there's a lot of new people here. Um, that's a great question. Tell me how you, what, your, what your faith story is. So I asked J.D., what's your story? And, and J.D. says, well, I became a Christian in 2020. I'm like, oh, well, I'm really interested. J.D.'s like 24 years old. I'm like, tell me more. He says, well, I met a guy named Chase who worships at Yorba Linda. And, uh, and he said to me, do you want to read about Jesus in the Bible? And, I said, and, and, and J.D. said, sure, I'd be open to that. So they met for several weeks and started reading about the gospel, about Jesus and the gospel of Mark. And after about eight weeks uh, of, of reading about Jesus, uh, Chase asked JD, are you ready to believe in Christ? And JD said back to him, I'm about 99% sure. And Chase said, well, that 1% is what we call faith. And I love that. Isn't that cool? I'm like, what a go Chase, man. That's awesome. And so JD said, well, yeah, I, I'm, I'm ready. I want to, I'm, I'm ready today. And that day, J.D. became a follower of Jesus. Now, I don't know what Chase's life will be like in the future. Chase is like 24 years old. But he's already laying a foundation that will last. 
because he's pointing future generations of people to Jesus. So I turned to, I turned to uh, JD. I said, JD, could you repeat what Chase did for you with somebody else? And he said to me, you know what? I think I could. Yeah, I, I think I've experienced enough about God to, uh, to be able to do that with somebody else. But I haven't met that person yet. I love the confidence. I'm like, yeah, yet. That person's going to come. You know, I don't know what JD's legacy will be like, but he already gets it. That, that leaving a legacy that lasts means pointing other people to Jesus. So I'm meditating this passage. I go to a coffee shop. I meet with an 81-year-old pastor who just planted a church. I'm like, Lord, please don't let that be me. You know? <laughs> like, I can't do it again, Lord. Like, I love you. But, you know, and this, this is hard work, right? What we're doing is, is, is good, challenging, hard work. And, and, I, and he's pointing people to Jesus at 81 years old. So I'm about to walk out. And I see this guy, probably in his mid-50s, at Bodie Leaf. And he's studying his Bible. And I go, hey, man, um, I thought he was a pastor. I said, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I started a Bible study with 18 random guys in my backyard. And then they all, uh, they all like in 2020. And now it's down to three. And I'm really discouraged. I'm a real estate agent from the area, and I could be out selling homes, but I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do with this Bible study with three guys. And I said, dude, I don't even know who this guy is. I, I said, dude, I don't even know who you are, but what you're doing is making a difference in people's lives. That's a legacy. Please keep doing it. That's a legacy that I want all of us to have. In fact, I know so many of us here want that same legacy. That's the intent of your heart. I don't know if you know who Dave Jarecki is, but he was a former athlete in the 1980s, the top pitcher for the Giants, I think. 1988, he, um, he got cancer in his pitching arm. Some of you know the story. And he left baseball, and everyone said he would never return, but a miracle happened. They, the cancer was treated, and he came back to pitch in the major leagues again with the same arm that he had cancer in. And so the first game he came back, he pitched, he won the game. And the second uh, time he pitched, he, he threw a pitch, and it was called the, the pitch heard around the world. Because when he, when he threw his arm, his entire arm shattered. And he, he, I, wanted, I didn't want to show it to you because it's awful to watch. And he fell on the ground, and this is a major league top pitcher. Uh, the cancer had returned, and it shattered his whole arm. They didn't even know. The next day, he had surgery to kind of fix his arm a little bit. He came out for a, uh, a press conference with the press. And this is what he said to him. He said, I began with a simple statement, telling the reporters the same thing that I've been talking about and thinking constantly for the past 24 hours. I told them that the real miracle in my life had nothing to do with an operation on my arm. It had to do with something Jesus Christ had done for me 2,000 years before. When he died for me and made it possible for me to live in fellowship with him, I just said it as simply as I could, and then I took questions to the press. With my arm breaking, the focus had shifted. The press had written about my comeback from cancer as a miracle, but what could they call this? The opposite of a miracle? If coming back from cancer had lifted people's hopes, should this dash them? That wasn't how I saw it. I saw my life as one continuous adventure in partnership with God. The miracle of my life had begun with Jesus. I told the writers, that I hoped to be able to come back and pitch again. I had no intention of quitting, but that wasn't the basic source of my optimism. My optimism was grounded in Jesus Christ 
And that day, my emotions were flooded with thankfulness for what he had done for me. Dave um, never came back to pitch in the major leagues. That was it. That was his career, that moment. He, went, he goes on, he went on to um, be a motivational speaker who, for people who are suffering and be an evangelist. And he is pointing people of the next generation to Jesus. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for this church. That's what I want for my life. And so you might ask, how? How do we do that? Well, two simple ways, and then we'll wrap up with communion. Um, the first is this. It might be a little morbid, but it's important. I want to ask you this week to write your obituary. I want you to write down what you want people to say about you at your funeral. Part of being a pastor, they say, is to prepare people to die. That's a morbid way of saying that I want to prepare you to actually live. And so I want you to sit down this week and to think about a paragraph or a page of what you hope people will actually say about you at your funeral. And then I want you to do the thing that David did not. And I want you to have a conversation with Jesus about whether or not those things are the things that are his priorities for your life, the things that will leave a legacy for him. And the second thing I want you to do is I want um, you this week, you can do it even right now, I already did it, but to pull out your calendar. And in July 31st, 2023, I want to ask you if you would commit to the Lord today to make a disciple of Jesus by next year, this Sunday. To say, I want to give my life away and point someone to Jesus and make a follower of Jesus by next year. You might be thinking, I don't know enough about the Lord to do that. And let me just reassure you that discipleship is a little bit about knowledge, but it's mostly about obedience. And so I know this room, that you all love the Lord and you have obeyed the Lord. And so I know that you can encourage people to actually follow and obey God. Would you commit to, like today, like, Lord, I intend in a year from now to appoint one person closer to you in my life. And maybe you're really hesitant. It's like, I don't, I, I, I'm just, I, I can't do it. Let me help solve a problem. By December 1, if you take our Rooted course, you will all be minimally trained in how to disciple somebody. Our Rooted course is all about how to connect with God, connect in community, and discover your purpose. And so this entire church, by December 1, will be minimally trained to be able to disciple somebody if you do it. So now there's no excuse, right? Right, Don? Don's smiling over there. Um, that's what I want for this church. So you could, you could encourage a grandchild. You could pray with a grandchild. You could read the Bible with a grandchild. You could grab a few guys in this church. You don't need me to have a sign-up sheet. You just break down walls, say, hey, let's get together for coffee and pray and get together and read the Bible. Ladies, you can go for coffee. I mean, whatever you want to do, maybe grab some guys from work, some people from work, and start reading the Bible. By next December or uh, uh, July, would you make an intention before the Lord? Trust Him by faith that He will help you make a disciple a follower by pointing someone else to Jesus. Because good intentions are great, but they need planning. Right? Amen? So let's plan on that. This morning we're going to take communion. And